This is Tani Talks Radio, the Sheer, where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. The Sheer should be in the merit of the safe and healthy return of all the captives, for the refuelishlam of all the injured and sick, and for the safety, protection, and success of all the soldiers and all our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. Everyone should have a Yeshua and a Refuah Bekarov. You ever notice how beautiful the world that Hashem made is? Did you ever take a minute to appreciate the nature that Hashem created? Breathtaking scenery, beautiful mountain scrapes, amazing views, gorgeous sunsets, and so much more in the world comes directly from Hashem. But how often do we stop and appreciate it, especially in Israel, where the Gemara talks about that Hashem gave nine keys of beauty to Israel, to the land of Israel, and one key is to the rest of the world. So if we think that X, Y, or Z is so wonderful, how much more so Israel? How often do we stop and appreciate it? How often do we contemplate it, try to fathom its vastness? Sometimes it's important to literally stop pause and smell the roses quite literally see the sights soak in the beautiful nature made by hashem my wife and i used to go to different botanical gardens in the past the one in brooklyn new york and the one in the bronx two of the best ones we've ever been to on our trip to england when we first got married we went to a garden as well we've also taken kids to different gardens we talked into the 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 Bronx Botanical Gardens as well. Wonderful trip. On that same trip in London, we went to Israel and stayed a few days in Atania, soaking in the beautiful views, the water, the sun, and so much more. Throughout the years, we try to go to different parks and different gardens, especially with the kids. And there are also nearby parks and nearby playgrounds that are also very nice for kids. You could even go to the harbor. You could go to different places. There's wonderful sites around Long Island, around New York as well. You could see the harbor. You could see the water. You could see the beaches and the like. Really pretty scenery to see around. It's important to take in what Hashem created in the world and appreciate it. There's so many natural wonders Hashem made in this world. You can think about the Grand Canyon in Arizona, the Ramon Crater in Israel, the mountains of Hawaii, and so much more. Interestingly, in my humble opinion, the land of Israel is the most beautiful in the world. It's talked a lot about in the sources, in the Mepharshim, and the commentators, and certainly contains many of the most of the beautiful creations by Hashem in the entire world. And it's interesting that it contains all elements. This is not an observation by me. Someone else said it some other time. It's a microcosm of the whole world. You go all the way to the north here of Mount Hormon. You can go skiing on the mountain. You go all the way down and you literally have the, the city of Eilat a beach city, and you have everything in between. You have the Negev, you have the Galil, you have the rainforest, and you have the deserts. You have everything in that land, which is obviously how Hashem did it. It's fascinating. And you see all of those things contained in that one tiny line. Many of us yearn to live there. We should be zochah to make it there one day, and may that be soon with Mashiach coming speedily in our days. May that be today. When we think about nature, and we think about Israel, it seems that so much of it is contained in Israel itself. From the land to the products, everything in between, it seems it can be found in Israel. In fact... The Gemara in Kedushin 49b talks about what I mentioned a little bit earlier. The ten kav of wisdom descended to the world. This is 49b in Kedushin. Eretz Yisrael took nine of them, and the rest of the world took one. Ten kav of beauty, otherwise known as ten keys of beauty, descended to the world. Jerusalem, or Israel, took nine. And all the rest of the world in its entirety took just one. I find that fascinating. Israel itself, Jerusalem itself, 
Yerushalayim takes nine calves of wisdom, nine calves of beauty, nine keys of wisdom and beauty, while the whole rest of the world combined have just one calf or one key of wisdom and beauty. How amazing is that? How crazy. I tend to think that the land of Israel really as a whole has nine keys or calves of beauty, while the whole rest of the world has one key or one calf. And I always wonder how Hashem divides it, because you have the Grand Canyon all the way in Arizona, you have the mountains, the beautiful Hawaii down there, and you have different elements all over the world. How does that work? I don't know. But in its entirety, in my opinion, Israel has all the ecosystems. And I believe the land of Israel encompasses all natural worldly geographic beauty as well, in as, as well as spirituality contains so much in it. Wikipedia itself explains the geography of Israel is very diverse, with desert conditions in the south and the snow-capped mountains of the Harmon in the north. Israel is located at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea in Western Asia. It is bound to the north by Lebanon, the northeast by Syria, the east by Jordan, to the southwest by Egypt. To the west of Israel, of course, is the Mediterranean Sea, which makes up the majority of their 170-mile coastline. Israel is a small coastline of the Red Sea in the south. Israel is divided into four physiographic regions, the Mediterranean coastal plain, the central hills, the Jordan Rift Valley, and the Negev Desert. Israel is divided east-west by a mountain range running north to south along the coast, even incorporating the mountain region, like, you know, there are different mountains, the Havdal across America, Israel has a mountain range too, running north to south along the coast. Jerusalem's side sits on the top of this ridge, east of which lies the Dead Sea Grabin, which is a pull-apart basin on the Dead Sea Transport Fault. The numerous limestone and sandstone, sandstone layers of the Israeli mountain service aquifers, through which water flows from the west flank to the east. Several springs have formed along the Dead Sea, each an oasis, most notably the oasis in Ingedi and Ein Bokeik, Neve Zohar. Israel also has a number of areas of karst topography. Caves in the region have been used for shelter over the years, storage rooms, barns, and as places of public gatherings. The far northern coastline of the country has some chalk landscapes best seen at Rosha Nikram. Beautiful stuff. There, a chalk cliff into which a series of grottos have been eroded. So you think about how fascinating this it, this is. And the tiny coast, the tiny country of Israel, which is like the size of the state of New Jersey, people say for comparison purposes, there's such a diverse topography with four main different types of areas. In this tiny country, Hashem made that there are mountains, valleys, deserts, rainforests, forests, snow mountains, and the Hormon, hills, seas like the Kinneret and the Dead Sea, rivers, the Jordan River, the ocean, ports, a crater or a canyon, the Ramon Crater, like the Grand Canyon, stones, limestones, and rock, the Dead Sea, the saltiest water on earth, and the lowest water on the lowest point on earth, natural hot springs, Engedi, coral reefs, and so much more. Literally every geographical aspect of the world is contained in Israel. It is a microcosm of the world. According to one opinion in the Convention on Biological Diversity, the number of ecosystem types covering Israel's entire land area depends on the criteria for classifying them. According to one classification, 46 ecosystem types were defined, clustered into 11 groups, the largest of which in in the woodland and shrubland ecosystems. 46 in this tiny country. Our homeland. Fascinating. We need to appreciate that Hashem made this beautiful world, especially that of Israel. 
We watched over the years many different virtual tours from Eve Harrow and the One Israel Fund and David Sussman of David Sussman Israel Tours through his TV show. Beautiful stuff throughout the whole land of Israel. We're blown away by the awesomeness and beauty of the country. The green, which sprouted once the Jewish people came back, is stunning. And the connection to the areas, to the words of the Tanakh, is simply mind-blowing. The Talmud points out... The Talmud points out in Tanis 30b, referenced in the Mishnah, compiled around 1800 years ago, recalls the great event that would take place twice a year. Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel said there were no do- days as joyous for the Jewish people as the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur, when the daughters of Jerusalem would go out and they dance in the vineyards. What would they say? The young men go choose for yourself this person, this person, based on this, based on that, based on that. The Mishnah taught that they literally would go out to the vineyards and dance. The sages talked about it, how they would borrow different garments, different elements, and go into the fields, the beautiful, beautiful aspects of Israel, the beautiful aspects of the land of Israel, and purposely outside, going to the nature. Nature is in all elements of our life. We need to appreciate it and utilize it for good and wonderful things, and to think about it. Aish points out with author Adam Rose, and Ross, Rabbi Victor Miller, one of the last generation's great rabbis, was known to take time appreciating the awesomeness of nature, Hashem's nature, marveling at the intricate detail and unfathomable wisdom in the world that God made. Look at this apple, so perfect, so sweet, so round, he would say before channeling his gratitude into a blessing. Nature is not only there to feed us, but also to inspire us. We can look at trees and their fruit as our teachers and guides. The date palm, which grows in salty conditions, yet brings forth honey, teaches us to extract the good from the bad. The olive tree, which produces oil, encourages us to bring more light into the world. Used for Hanukkah candles, used for cooking olive oil is the best one. People can use it to light candles from in general during the Shabbos elements bringing light into the world and the grape which is crushed before producing expensive wine teaches us the value of humility we all have periods of winter in our lives we are in the winter right now here in winter 2023 2024 excuse me we have periods of winter in our lives times of darkness coldness and isolation and sometimes it's hard to imagine ourselves back in a positive place in israel after four long, cold months, most trees have lost their leaves, and their winters are not as harsh as New York winters, but they are harsh for that land, for that climate. Their trees, they lose their leaves, battered by the harsh winds and frosts. Just when they look ready to be cut up and used for firewood, new life appears again. The almond tree blossoms. These barren trees, which have laid dormant for so long, make a comeback. The key is not to let the difficult, non-productive times in our lives define us. Like trees, we too live our lives in cycles, like the moon that waxes and wanes, shrinking and disappearing before growing and becoming full. By the way, Lahavdil, as a side point, it's no coincidence, there's no coincidences in life in Hashem's world. It's no coincidence that when we think about Kedosh Levana, we talk about the, the moon waxing and waning, just like the Jewish people. And the moon waxes and wanes throughout the month, and, and then when it comes full and strong, is when we're not supposed to say the bracha anymore. It's symbolic of life, it's symbolic of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, and our Jewish history in general. At times shrinking, but at other times blossoming, and shrinking, and then blossoming. We should be zochah today, that we only blossom with the times of Mashiach and the times to come. We need to learn from Hashem's nature, appreciate Hashem's nature, be grateful for Hashem's nature. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it as a given. Those locked up, especially during the COVID times, 
could be so grateful to be outside to see it, especially those who didn't have backyards, who didn't have front yards, who didn't have any elements, how difficult that must have been for those years. If you have a backyard or front yard, use it, appreciate it, thank Hashem for it. If you're in a building and you have a terrace, you have a, a mere peasant in Israel, go out and use it, appreciate it. Go to nearby parks, go to nearby places. Hashem made nature purely for us to see it, to experience it, and to partake of it. Safari.org points out Rabbi Nachman of Breslov taught as often as you can take a trip out to the fields to pray the idea of Hispotidus taking time for yourself with Hashem's nature all the grasses will join you they will enter your prayers and give you strength to sing praises to Hashem from the empty chair page 86 how good it is to pray to Hashem and to meditate in the meadows amidst the grass and the trees do you know as a side point the sages of old, especially the Baal Shem Tov, I believe, with his students, would literally go out into the fields to be Makabal Shabbos. Why go out into the fields? Why not be in a shul? Why not be Makabal inside a building? Because as the light fades and as the darkness comes, and as Shabbos really comes upon us with the darkness coming in, you're able to greet the Shabbos queen, greeting Hashem in his nature, in his world, in the beauty that is outdoors. They purposely went out to find Shabbos, to bring in Shabbos, and to bring it in in a beautiful way. How good it is to pray to Hashem and meditate in the meadows amidst the grass and the trees. When one goes out to the meadows to pray, every blade of grass, every plant and every flower enter his prayers and help him, putting strength and force into his words. It is best to seclude oneself and meditate in the meadows outside the city, go to a grassy field for the grass will, the grass will awaken your heart and you can see crystal clear like through glass, how wonderful Hashem's world is when you go out to see it. Sichos Haran from 144 talks about also a person would often ride to the outskirts of the city and take walks in the field. This was for his health and for other awesome reasons that only he knew. This is why there were many, many different Miyanim outside, which I thought was very fascinating during the, the pandemic times. People thought they couldn't go in buildings, but Hashem had different plans, and everyone who dived outside, you're able to really appreciate the nature, be outside, and listen. And when the weather was nice, especially to dive in amongst the trees, to dive in amongst the grass, to dive in the outdoors, a lot of people did that over the years, and what a beautiful feeling to be able to dive into Hashem amongst His nature. It reminds me of the idea we mentioned briefly just a few minutes ago. My Jewish Learning explains about Kabbalah Shabbos of the olden times, especially in Svas. In the 16th century, the small town of Safed, Svas, located in the mountains of the Galilee in northern Israel, was a center of Jewish mysticism. Salom ben Moses Halevi Alkabitz was one of the many mystics who lived and studied there. On Friday nights, I am mistaken, I thought it was Baal Shem Tov, it could be this rabbi instead. On Friday nights, Alkabitz and his colleagues would dress in white like bridegrooms and joyously dance and march through the fields outside the town to greet the Sabbath, to greet Shabbos, which is depicted in both Talmud and in mystical texts as a bride and queen. Around 1540, Alkabitz, a poet, composed a beautiful ode to the Sabbath bride, L'Chadodi, urging Jews to greet the Shabbos and extolling her virtues. Gemar Shabbos 119a explains, Rabbi Chanina, probably Rabbi Chanina Mendoza, would wrap himself in his garment and stand at nightfall on Shabbos Eve and say, Come, and we will go out to greet Shabbos the Queen. Rabbi Yanai put on his garment on Shabbos Eve and said, Enter, O bride, enter, O bride. Jewish Action, the OU Magazine, points out with Rabbi Adler, the author, For the Mikubelite Tzfas, this Talmudic passage served as the 
source for the liturgical Kabbalah Shabbos, which for them entailed a trek to the outskirts of the city to formally greet the Shabbos Queen. The field was thought to be the optimum venue for this reception because of its natural ability to promote an inner contemplative mental state as well as for its mystical associations. In fact, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, the Ari HaKodesh, is reported as having formally invoked the image of the field by declaring at the outset, let us go out towards the Shabbos Queen to the field of the Holy Fruit. Other Mikulabulit Safas viewed any outdoor area as acceptable for the welcoming ceremony, such as the synagogue courtyard. Lechadodi Lekraskala from the poem made by Rabbi Alkabitz must certainly have been intended as literal references to what was then the common practice of gathering an entourage to go out and to greet the Shabbos in nature. Even the image of the field is, impl- is implicitly invoked by the words Lachadodi, which in their original source in Shira Shirim are followed by Nidse Hasod Hasadeh, let us go out to the field. It should be noted that even after the Kabbalah Shabbos service was incorporated within a Beisach Nessus setting, it was not uncommon for the Tzibor to recite Bowie Vishalom, if not the entire service outdoors in the Shul patio. The Aruch HaShulchan observes that in, the, in his time this practice had been all but forgotten. What remains today as the only vestige of this ancient minog is the widespread practice of turning to the rear of the shul at the recitation of Bowie Vashalom to symbolically direct our gaze westward, the direction of the setting sun, or toward the door. Rabbi Yitzchak Zev Halevi Salavechik Zetzal, just before the onset of Shabbos, would get into the Shabbos mode as well. After showering, he would don a kapata and sit on his balcony, balcony solemnly awaiting the approach of Shabbos at sunset. He would enter the house, check the clock to ascertain the precise moment of Shkia, turn to face west, and enthusiastically exclaim, Boi Vishala Materas Bala, Boi Chala, Boi Chala, Boi Chala, Shabbos Malkasel Chadodi. He would then be seated and recite, Ms. Marshir and Hashem Malach. An important lesson to learn, regardless of how davening happens, is that the theme is of welcoming royalty. Shabbos should not just come upon us, we must actually anticipate it and welcome it. Too often, especially on the short, Shabbos, the short Friday Shabbos during the winter months, which we're in now, it is easy, very easy, to stumble, unfortunately, into Shabbos without affording it a proper welcome. It behooves us to reclaim the precious moments prior to Shabbos and to use them to the utmost. Rav Salvechik, the Rav, Zetzal, often spoke of a phenomenon that he felt was lacking in American Orthodoxy. I remember my wife and I listening to a share many years ago from Rabbi J.J. Shachter talking about this, what the Rav would talk about. He felt it was lacking, that of the Erev Shabbos Yid. The Erev Shabbos Yid experiences the sanctity of Shabbos so deeply that he infuses his pre-Shabbos preparation with unique aura of anticipation. The Rav related how such Jews abounded in every Eastern European shtetl and hamlet. The ranks of Erev Shabbos Yidin included many a humble tailor, water carrier, and smith, whose simple piety paralleled that of the most erudite scholars. By midday, tools of the trade were set aside, shops were closed, and one could palpably sense the approach of Shabbos. One would enter the shul well before sundown and find Jews of every stripe enraptured in the recitation of Shir Hashirim. Such were the likes of Erev Shabbos Yidin, Erev, Shab- Erev Shabbos Jews. Sadly, the Rav bemoaned the disappearance of this breed of Jew, noting that although contemporary Orthodox Jewry might be meticulous in the Shabbos observance, it has lost this special spark, that of the Erev Shabbos Jew. 
that of the Arab Shabbos type of a person. Going out to Davin to welcome the Shabbos is a wonderful way to interpret how to bring in a Shabbos. Davening outside is a wonderful way to talk to Hashem and to appreciate His creations in nature. Koalus Rabbah points out, When the Holy One, Hashem, created the first human, He took him and led him around all the trees of the garden in Eden, and said to him, Look at my works, how beautiful and praiseworthy they are. All that I have created was for you that I created it. Chesed. Pay attention that you do not corrupt, you do not destroy my world. If you corrupt it, there is no one to repair it after you. We need to appreciate the beauty of the world and the beauty of nature and take care not to destroy it. Ish points out from Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan, Everything God created has a purpose to fulfill. Although God is omnipotent has no need of messengers, he decreed that the world should run according to natural laws. In this way, he makes use of all things to fulfill his will and to guide man toward his destiny. Therefore, everything that may affect man, be it a drop of rain or a thunderclap, is under God's direct control. When we walk outside, when we see the creations, we should see and appreciate the hand of Hashem himself. Rabbi Lev points out on Aish, when it comes to using nature as a path to Hashem, one's explorations must be carefully guided, so that one indeed finds God through his observation of nature. King David proclaimed that God is to be found in nature. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, I am inspired to realize my insignificance in relationship to God who is overwhelming, coming from Tehillim chapter Chet. But there remains a danger in the observation of nature as the Torah warns us. Lest you raise your eyes heavenward and observe the sun, God forbid, the moon and the stars, God forbid, and you're enticed to bow to them and serve them, God forbid, from Devarim, Parakdalit. All creation was designed to inspire and lead us to love Hashem. The Talmud Rosh Hashanah 31 says that on the fifth day of the week, we recite the 81st chapter of Tehillim, sing out to the God of our strength, for on this day birds and fish were created to praise God's name. Rashi explains that it is not the birds and fish themselves which sing God's praises, rather when people observe the birds and fish, they give praise to the one who created them. Similarly, Parakshira, which relates the songs of various animals, plants, and inanimate objects, is explained by Rabbi Yosef Mitrani in his work Beis Elohim, is referring not to the utterances of these creatures and objects, but to the responses the natural phenomena evoke in the human beings who observe and study them. The accessibility of nature to our physical senses is an important supplement to our knowledge of Hashem. As physical beings, we are affected more by what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we smell, what we taste, using the senses, than what by than by what we know intellectually. But don't, God forbid, turn to anything but Hashem. Don't think nature or science or anything has any independent power. God forbid, it all comes only from Hashem Himself. The Aish Rabbi points out, when seeing unusually shaped or beautiful mountains that one can readily recognize as a wonder of God, one should recite the following blessing from the quote of Jewish law, from the Shulchan Aruch. Blessed are you, Hashem, King of the universe, who forms the works of creation. There's some guidelines involved, not from a play, not if you saw in the past month, but all in all, there's a special bracha to say. We need to physically acknowledge and appreciate the creations of Hashem in our life, especially those around us in Hashem's natural world. It is said that near the end of his life, Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hirsch, the great Rabbi Hirsch, announced that he was going to tour Switzerland on foot. His students were shocked, tried to dissuade him from risking his health in such a difficult journey. Rabbi Hirsch explained, When I come before Hashem, 
I'll have to answer for many things. Of course, we know the major, major questions. Did you do your business honestly? Did you try to have kids? Did you wait for Mashiach every day? Did you learn every day? What was your name? Major questions. But he'll also have to account for many different things. What will I tell him, Rabbi Hirsch asks his students when he asks me, Shimshon, did you see my Alps? Did you see my Swedish Alps? We're supposed to appreciate the wonders of this world. Make sure you do so. Rabbi Dovlev points out on H, the Torah exhorts us to love God, but how does one love an immortal, infinite, non-physical being? Maimonides, the Rambam, teaches that one way is to focus on the wonders of creation. When we observe how a little seed can transform into something so beautiful and alive, we're overcome with awe and appreciation for the Almighty on a much greater, greater level, Havdom, the miraculous idea of pregnancy and childbirth also is mind-boggling on many, many levels, not really explainable by science. They, they could try to explain the process, but literally it's a miraculous thing from Hashem. On a much, much smaller level, a havdom, you could look at a little seed and how it could transform into a mighty tree, and how it produces fruit, and each fruit has the, the way to continue within it. The fruit already has the seeds to continue the line forward, which is brilliant also. When we look at things like this, we're overcome with awe and appreciation for Hashem. Mankind's first mission was to tend a garden. Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden and gone Eden to look after and cultivate the beautiful garden that Hashem prepared. Hashem first appeared to Moshe just a few parshas ago in a thorn bush because Hashem wanted to emphasize, emphasize that even vegetative life is infused with Hashem's presence. The sages tell us that one should not simply enjoy the beauty of nature for its own sake, but use it as an opportunity to praise Hashem creating such beauty in this world. Some of God's most amazing miracles are happening right now in your own backyard. It is considered praiseworthy to plant trees for people to benefit from the shade, beauty, and fruit. The Talmud, which talks about this, uses the metaphor of a tree to illustrate the idea of being selflessly devoted to building a better future. An old man was planting a tree. When a young person passed by and asked, What are you planting? A carob tree, the old man replied. That's foolish, said the youth. Don't you know that it takes 70 years for a carob tree to bear fruit? That's okay, said the old man. Just as others planted for me, I am planting for future generations. The Torah compares a human being to a tree. There's much we can learn from trees. From their vibrancy, their growth patterns, their perseverance under difficult conditions, a tree needs to be planted in the earth. The soil is not only the source through which nourishment is absorbed, but also provides space for the roots to anchor firmly into the ground. This is true for people as well. To paraphrase the Talmud in Pergelvus, which, which you really need to understand and learn and, um, and hear from beautiful morals and ethics and lessons. We talk about it on a different show once a week nowadays. If you have many branches and few roots, then a wind can overturn you, can turn your tree upside down. But if you have few branches but many roots, even if all the winds of the world were to try to blow, you will not budge from your place. Perhaps the most fascinating aspect of gardening in Israel pertains to the laws of the sabbatical year, Shemitah. The Torah says that during the final year of a regular seven-year agricultural cycle, the land of Israel must remain fallow and ownerless. Very, very difficult for owners of land, for farmers, for planters, for agriculturally-based businesses. Very difficult, very hard mitzvah, but a beautiful mitzvah. During the Shemitah year, it is forbidden to plow, to plant, to harvest, to prune, and the like. Moreover, whatever grows on its own may be eaten by anyone. It's ownerless, and the field's owner may not stop others from partaking. The observance of Shemitah imbues trust in Hashem. 
I don't know any mitzvah that is so difficult, so reliant on bitachon and emunah Hashem. Very, very difficult mitzvah, especially for people living in Israel who have farms and the like, with an appreciation that the land produces fruit only because God wills it. Make sure to firmly plant your roots in the ground in a literal and figurative way, appreciating and using Hashem's nature, using your own nature to put roots in the ground through doing mitzvahs and Torah learning throughout your days. The Yishrabai also points out that the delicate balance comes from Devarim in Parakhaf. When an army surrounds a city and prepares to use a tree as a battering ram, the Torah says that a fruit-bearing tree may not be used for this purpose. If one uses the fruit-bearing tree, then the fruit will be needlessly destroyed, since the same objective could have been accomplished with a tree that does not bear fruit. On the other hand, a person may cut down a fruit tree for some constructive purpose. As the Rambam talks about, this encapsulates the Torah perspective on the environment. While we may use the world for our needs, we may never irresponsibly damage or destroy the environment. Needless destruction is called baltashkes. We're not supposed to destroy things needlessly. Don't needlessly destroy things. Take care of the world around you, even your Dalit Amos of the world in your front and backyard. This is why oftentimes have people tend to people tend to have people care for their yards in the front and in the back. And people have gardeners and different people. There are different aspects of different things. And even simple aspects, simple things we can think about understanding and nurturing and appreciating the environment, appreciating those around us. Listen to this fact sheet about Israel from Aish from 2013. Israel and the environment, clean tech. Israel was ranked in 2013 as the second highest clean tech country in the world, according to the World Wildlife Fund. In 2013, over 83% of Israeli homes used solar energy for hot water, the highest percentage in the world. In 2013, Israel was the first country to host a national electric car network. Israel's reverse osmosis facility, which is brilliant, in Ashkelon is the world's largest water desalinization plant because there's a lot of you know, salt water in the surrounding water areas. This is in 2013. Israel treated 92% of its wastewater and reused 75% in agriculture, the highest rate in the world. An Israeli company back then pioneered the use of drip irrigation, also a brilliant invention in agriculture, helping to implement it throughout the developing world. Thanks to balanced diets and the latest scientific innovations, Israeli cows back then already produced more milk per cow than any other in the world. An Israeli company based in a religious kibbutz was the world's largest producer of natural pesticides. Israeli scientists developed a bacteria that eats petroleum, helping to clean up oil spills on land and sea. Israel was one of two countries back then in the world in which deserts were shrinking rather than expanding. Israel's carbon emissions were 11.02 per capita, half of that of the United States. Again, it's a much, much smaller country, but that's besides the point. Israel already back then was the only country that entered the 21st century with a net gain in its number of trees, even more remarkably in an area that's mainly desert. And in the past 50 years from then, Israel planted over 260 million trees. And they recycled 20% more of their plastic bottles than Americans, even though they only started recycling 10 years before that in 2003. Isn't that remarkable? The world should look and learn from the good that Israel does and focus just on that. There are some things, there are some aspects and some ways that we could think about. We have to take the nature and appreciate it, really understand it. 
and go through it and understand how we could look at Hashem's world and how we could appreciate Hashem's world and how we could really focus on the miraculous things in the world because Hashem made the world for us to really appreciate. Hashem made the world that we should benefit from it and we should enjoy it. Hashem was going to ask us, God forbid, after 120 years, why didn't you enjoy my world? Everything about it we should do to make sure to fully put ourselves into the aspect to really be in the world to enjoy all of its aspects through Torah, Mitzvahs, and Chesed. Even one tree, one plant, one building can be structured and made literally to help even one Jew. We think about the Yonah story. I was thinking about this. The Yonah story on Yom Kippur, Hashem makes the Kikayon, this special plant, just for Yonah, just to prove a point, but just for Yonah to give him the shade, to give him the relief from the burning hot sun. Then he destroys it to make a point. But that one tree, that one plant was made for Yonah. Every creation Hashem made and makes is for us, to benefit us, to help us, to guide us. We should appreciate it and love the nature around us and truly take care of it as best we can. Hashem can be seen in all the elements of the world. We just have to look for Him, appreciate Him, and understand that it's all from Hashem and the nature around us. We should be a builder, not a destroyer, especially of the environment and earth. Don't waste, don't crumble, but make sure to build up and brighten the wonderful world and nature that Hashem gives us. The tree of life, the element of our basic existence, is that of the Torah. We should cling to it as a plant clings to the earth in order to thrive in life. Hashem made beautiful works in the world from the beginning of time that stay with us to this current day. We should think about the elements of the world, how it all came from Hashem from the beginning of time with all the principles and all the aspects of the world. We should care for the world, we should nurture it, we should appreciate it and make blessings over it, not only for ourselves, but for the good and for the sake of future generations. Hashem made the world in a beautiful, natural, and tranquil manner and way. Don't corrupt it, don't disgrace it by trashing the world or graffitiing the world around us. In different manners or methods, if you see garbage that missed a garbage can, pick it up and put it in. It would be nice to help the community, the neighborhood, and the world itself. Be that person that could be a seed for change. Be that person that has such good, strong roots in the earth that will not be toppled over by the surrounding evil. Be strong, a tree of Torah strength, caring for the people in the world around us. Use your elements to nourish the surroundings in the world around you. Don't waste any seed of talent. Use all of your being and qualities to enrich the world around you with any capabilities and any nourishment you could offer to the world, especially to the people in your life or not yet. Think about how we as the Jewish people are like one tree with many branches, but with the same seed, the same root, the same father, the same king, that of Hashem itself. Make sure to be connected to the pulse of the whole Jewish people and help them out. Think about how even one tree, one plant, one building can be made literally to help even one Jew. Everything Hashem made was for us, to benefit us, to help us, and to bring us through life. We need to really truly acknowledge and thank Hashem for the wonderful nature of the wonderful world He gave us. We should truly care for it as best we can. Make sure to get out and to experience and really feel the beauty of the world Hashem gave us. Talk to Hashem outside, daven outside, sing, dance, play music outside. Make sure to go visit parks and playgrounds and gardens to go see the water and the trees, the beaches and the rocks. See what Hashem gave us and truly treasure it, truly love it, never taking it for granted. If we could appreciate the world, nurture the world, love the world that Hashem gave, maybe we could finally bring true peace in the world and usher in an amazing time period for all of the world speedily in our days. This has been Tani Talks Radio where we talk about a topic for the week for the audience members to keep. And I'm your host, Tani.